Welcome in, everyone, to the Air Raid Sports Episode 2 podcast leading into Week 10 of the NFL season. As always, I'm Steph, and I'm here with my buddy Alex. Say what's up to the people. Hello, bro. <laughs> oh, what was that? Oh, my God. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad that was on recording. It's nice to be here. <laughs> Oh, Boy, wow. Alex, I, I, it's been an incredible week nine. How was your week, man? How, how was your weekend fantasy-wise oh, for all your teams? Well, it was kind of similar to what I just tried to say when I entered the show. I don't really know how to feel about it. Um, my fantasy team got the win. It was ugly. I think I scored 94 points and pulled out a W, so you always love to see that. I, I started Ronald Jones in what was a bit of a breakout game. Um, and I nice. had a last-minute pivot to Zach Paschal, who oh. ended up putting up five for seventy-six and a touchdown. So I was one of the one percent of people in the in the world that probably started Zach Paschal this week, and I was thrilled with that. Um, kind of moving out of fantasy, my Colts man, they had a rough week. Um, that was brutal. Jacoby looked awesome. He went down early, and, and Hoyer played a good game, and the Colts actually kind of rallied together to play a good game there without Jacoby and without T.Y. Hilton. But the GOAT, Vinatieri, man, just couldn't quite get it this time, kicked it on the laces. Um, that's just the way it goes, though. Last week hitting the 51-yarder to beat the Broncos, and then this week missing the 43-yarder to lose to Pittsburgh. So you hate to see it, but we got the Dolphins next week, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, it was funny that on the last podcast, you mentioned that the Colts win every game by about one possession. And you could totally see, like, they rallied to fight back against the Steelers. It was such a great game. It was such a fun game to watch. Came down to the wire. Just hate to see that for, for the my Super Bowl-bound Colts. It's tough, but we'll bounce back. So, Steph, tell me about your week. How'd it go for you? Overall, my fantasy week was somewhere in the middle. I had an absolute blast watching the games, but... To watch my Browns lose the way they did against the team they did, it was a brutal loss. And I, we, we can dissect this Browns team. I don't even want to spend time on it, honestly. Fantasy-wise, I won one, lost one. Uh, overall, though, it was a pretty fun week. Had a lot of fun games to watch. And there's a lot that we're going to break down here in this episode that I'm really hyped and looking forward to. For those listening, just remember... Uh, we post on YouTube. I've been putting some content out there, some uh, something called the Fantasy Film Room, where we break down a player's touches for an entire game. This week, I just did DK Metcalf on his explosive breakout, so go check that out. Also, follow us on all social media platforms, add us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now, I, it was a very fun day of football, Alex. Would you agree on, on Sunday? It was. Nothing better than starting out bright and early with a London game and taking it all the way into what was quite a shocking and entertaining Sunday night football game. Uh, so let's talk about that Ravens-Patriots game. We we mentioned it as, as one to look out for on the pod last week, and it did not disappoint, Steph. What are your first impressions and first reaction um, after seeing the Ravens just beat the brakes off of the Patriots? It was so fun to watch. By far, that's, that's my favorite game of this season. I think this game puts Lamar very high in the MVP discussion. And I think the Patriots came in with a game plan. You know, they always do the type of mindset of we're going to take away your best option. You know, there's stories of Belichick creating whole new playbooks for certain matchups, certain teams, and certain games. 
Uh, it seemed like their plan was on this one. Hey, let's make Lamar run, uh, which turned out to actually be the worst thing for him. You know, in terms of his passing stats, wasn't anything to to gasp over. He went 17 for 23, which is always nice to see. A lot of dink and dunk, just short passes. 163 passing yards, one touchdown and zero interceptions. Always love to see that. You know, not throwing a pick against the New England Patriots. I think that's a big deal, especially for, you know, Lamar is, I think he's under 25 years old. So that's, that's a big deal. And then on the ground, what more can you say about a quarterback that can run the way Lamar can? He was 16 rushing attempts, had two touchdowns and 61 yards on the ground. So it was an incredible game to watch. Lamar was electric. Everyone's going to be talking about him this week. It's clear for me from this game is that the perfect place for Lamar to get drafted to was the Baltimore Ravens. You, you, Harbaugh fine-tuned this entire offense, brought in Greg Roman, uh, who used to be with you know, Kaepernick back when he was in his prime, kind of more of a rushing, uh, passing, combo quarterback. And they just totally built this playbook around Lamar Jackson's strengths. We see some really tricky plays uh, with the QB runs. And there were some really interesting play designs in that game. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And one thing that was actually brought up on the broadcast is that when you design a run for the quarterback, you end up getting an extra blocker. Because when you think about a traditional running play, the quarterback hands it off and they're just standing there in the backfield. So when you have a guy like Lamar Jackson, as electric as he is, that can run the ball, you can design a run for him and you get that extra fullback or running back to get up in the hole and seal off a linebacker. Um, So that's one thing that really stood out to me. Uh, The Ravens are rushing for over 200 yards a game this year. They ran for 210 in this one and three touchdowns uh, as a team. And Lamar Jackson, like you said, man, short and easy throws. He protected the ball and he vaulted his way right up into that MVP discussion. Yeah, that was a heck of a game to watch. You see that one where he they're on the goal line. Lamar's on his back. His his O-lineman's pulling him into the end zone. He just puts his hands above his head with the ball. Like, please, please cross the plane. It was just so fun to watch. There, there was a point in that game where I thought the Patriots would come back. Kind of towards the middle of the game, you could tell they made some adjustments. You saw Brady putting his entire face into the Microsoft surface (laughs) on the sideline. But yeah, it was a heck of a game. Honestly, (laughs) the best game I've seen so far this season. Yeah, man. And I actually was able to lip read Tom Brady at one point when he was looking at the Microsoft surface and he just looked up and said, this is crazy. (laughs) So I think the Patriots weren't ready for it. They got hit in the mouth, uh, but we know New England and we know they'll bounce back. 100%. Now moving away from the Pats and Ravens game. Let's talk about some of the more under-the-radar games. Yeah, I already mentioned one of my favorites to watch was that Colts-Steelers game. Man, the Steelers are really tough to beat at home with that defense. They get fired up. You know, what more can be said about Minka Fitzpatrick? A lot of people were saying they gave up too much in a first-round pick to grab this guy. He's been absolutely crushing. I think he has six uh, interceptions on the season. A couple of them were pick sixes. It's a gritty game. I'm so sorry to to be supportive of the Steelers, especially as a Browns <laughs> fan and as you being the in-house Colts fan. It's it's tough to be happy for the Steelers, but it is fun to watch. And when your Big Ben level quarterback goes down, it's it's really easy for a team to give up. And I feel like the Steelers have, have kept fighting, which is for the viewers and spectators like us, for the football fans. It's Pretty, pretty fun to watch. And then I'm so sorry for the Colts, Alex. I, you can't even really blame that on, hey, Jacoby got hurt. They were still playing fine. It just you hate to see that, honestly. 
Yeah, Steelers came out and played a great game. Like you said, the defense was awesome. Bud Dupree and TJ Watt have been putting an insane amount of pressure on quarterbacks. Watt's so good. And like you said, Minka, Minka Fitzpatrick, man, he's came in and changed their season. He saved their season. When Big Ben went out, it looked like all hope was lost. And Minka Fitzpatrick has done nothing but make plays since he got there. And now they're 4-4 four and four and they have a chance to make the playoffs. So we'll see what happens with the Steelers. But they've proven that going into Pittsburgh and winning, even without Big Ben, without Le'Veon Bell, and without Antonio Brown, is still no easy thing to do. So pivoting to one of my favorite Week 9 games. And it's funny because this is one that I actually brought up on the pod last week. And I said it might not be one that you'd need to watch. And that's the Lions and Raiders. And it turns out it was one of the most fun games of the weekend. The Raiders pulled it out by seven points. Stafford got down to the one-yard line there at the end of the game and couldn't get the game-tying touchdown. But, wow, this was this was entertaining. Stafford threw for 406 yards and three touchdowns uh, in a game where Kenny G and Marvin Jones finally were able to coexist. And uh, Josh Jacobs on the Raiders' side ran for 120 yards and two touchdowns. So – Coming out of this game, the Lions are really falling back in that division race, and the Raiders are now four and four. And the Raiders are four and four with their four losses being to the Chiefs, at Minnesota, at Green Bay, and at Houston. So their losses are to high quality teams, and their next three games are at home against the Chargers, at home against the Bengals, and then at the New York Jets. Wow. So they they really have a chance to turn it around here. And I know they've played on the road a lot to start out this season. So getting back home and getting against some softer opponents, they can make a run and get up into that wild card discussion, especially if Jacoby Brissett ends up missing some serious time. Uh, so that Lions-Raiders game really did not disappoint. Wow, I think you just made me change my mind and actually believe, I I can't believe I'm about to say this, that the Raiders might make the playoffs. I I think they might actually, like, they're probable to make the playoffs at this point. (laughs) They're Gruden grinders, man. They're grinding it out under John, so we'll see what they can do. (laughs) You said that was the most fun game. I gotta be the guy to one-up you here. I think the most fun game to watch was that Seahawks-Buccaneers shootout, the one overtime game, and I, I read some crazy stat. It was like, this is... Uh, the first time in a while that two wide receivers on the same team, this is on the Seahawks side, were both in the top five in fantasy. It was such a shootout. Like I said, go watch that DK Metcalf film review I put out on, on the YouTube channel. But yeah, that, that to me was a heck of a game. It was the highest scoring game. And yes, the Buccaneers are melting down as they usually do, but it would still, to me, it was, was a blast to watch. I kind of like in a sick, sadistic way, I, I do enjoy watching Jameis kind of fumble around. <laughs> Man, that game was awesome. And every time the Seahawks got the ball, I just knew that Russell Wilson was going to throw another touchdown. It just felt like a guaranteed – it felt like a guaranteed thing. And for a second, I thought the Bucks might pull it out. It came down to overtime. And the Seahawks went down and scored. But, man, the Bucks they just – that was a classic Buccaneers game. And you just start to wonder how much longer Jameis Winston's going to be the quarterback there. Yeah, I think this is going to be his last season, which will be sad. We'll get uh, you know less up and down kind of shootout and four turnover games as we've gotten. Let's talk about some of the guys who kind of underperformed that had fairly high expectations going into this fantasy week. And the first one I want to talk about, this is probably the most talked about guy on here, but I think he is worth discussing, is Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen hasn't really played well since, what, week five? And folks are losing hope. We know he is an elite wide receiver in the NFL. That's, you know, that point has been proven at this time. 
We have a large enough sample size that we don't really need to see more from Keenan Allen to know he's elite. Uh, but you just wonder if it's going to come back this season. He is kind of a streaky player, and I, I think that's directly correlated with Philip Rivers. Yeah, I was watching an interview once, and Rivers said that what he'll do at the start of every game is try to force feed Keenan Allen to see if they're hot that day. And you kind of see that here. And, and yes, you got guys like Hunter Henry coming in, taking away more of those touches. Yes, you have uh, Austin Eckler, who's been really, really good this year. What do you think about Keenan Allen, Alex? Yeah, so Keenan Allen started out the year with 26 points week one, followed it up with 17, and then 43 from a fantasy perspective in PPR. Since then, he scored 9, 5, 5, 10, 12, 7. So you're not really thrilled with any of the past six weeks. And that's what Keenan Allen's been, though, for the past several years. I remember a couple years ago, he started out very pedestrian and ended up finishing on an absolute tear and vaulting into the top 10 wide receivers on the year. So with Keenan Allen, that's kind of what you sign up for. You know he's going to get a ton of target volume, and you know he's the go-to guy for Phillip Rivers. But he kind of goes up and down like a roller coaster, man. Keenan Allen is is up and down and the hope is that because he's down right now he might turn it around and bounce back for the end of the season they've got Oakland this week Kansas City next week a couple of really high volume high over under games so I think Keenan Allen's a buy low candidate candidate if you're really looking for a wide receiver one uh, as you push towards the fantasy playoffs yeah so Keenan you know he's kind of hot or cold based on how his quarterback's doing that day which kind of brings me to the next wide receiver that we need to really think about, is he a buy low or is this a guy you don't even want to touch for the rest of the year? And that's Allen Robinson, who unfortunately has Mitch Trubisky throwing him the ball. And honestly, I've never been a Trubes hater. I know a lot of commentators and, and guys out there, there's a lot of hate for Trubisky, but honestly, I've never thought he was absolutely garbage like a lot of people are making him out to be. Yes, he's had a rough little stretch of games here, uh, but what do you think the impact is on Allen Robinson rest of season? I am going to throw out a hot take here. Oh. And I'm going to say it is time for the Chicago Bears to move on from Mitch Trubisky. It's time. It's over. Wow. He's not a good quarterback. He's he's shown flashes over the past couple years, but he more often than not has been incredibly errant, incredibly inconsistent, and the Bears have arguably the best defense in the league and all sort of offensive weapons, and they aren't doing anything. And why? It's because of Mitch Trubisky. So it is time for them to move on. I think they'd have a better chance of winning games with Chase Daniel, to be quite honest. And until they do that, Allen Robinson's going to be an up-and-down player, and that's just the way it is. So uh, a little bit <laughs> harsh there on old Mitch, but at some point you got to pivot. And regardless of if you trade it up to get this guy, if he's not the guy, he's not the guy. And the sooner you can get out, the better. So if I'm the Chicago Bears, I'm moving on. Yeah, 1.6 fantasy points for Allen Robinson in this last game. It's just, you know, for a guy that you took in the, you know, first, what, five rounds, that's something you you hate to see. But it's tough to let a guy move on when you take him fairly early. And there's a lot of high hopes before this season. He looked great in a lot of games early. Uh, I think it is time to move on from Allen Robinson. Try to sell him if you can. Now, I wouldn't sell him for nothing, and I'm sure he'll have one or two more decent games. We may see Chase Daniels come in, and that approves uh, Allen's game-to-game performance, which you know maybe this take is completely different with Chase Daniels in the game. But assuming Trubisky is still the starter, I think what we're saying here uh, is true. Yeah, and speaking to Allen Robinson specifically uh, real quick, he's, he's wide receiver 16 on the year in PPR formats. He's averaging 
14.8 fantasy points a game. So even though he did have a down week this week, for the most part, he's put up some pretty solid production because he is still getting that volume. So if you're selling him, don't sell him for nothing. Right. But I just think the back half of his season is going to be significantly worse than the front half. So if you can get market value for him right now, I think it's a good opportunity to move on. Absolutely. And yeah, you never give never give away a wide receiver two for nothing. That's for sure. Now, this next guy I want to talk about here is another guy who's a result of the quarterback. And it's it's DJ Chark from the from uh, getting balls from Gardner Minshew. It was tough to watch. And I actually enjoyed watching the game. I, I did. I do like seeing the Texans do well. It was kind of fun to see him whoop up on the Jags. But to see him go out the way he did. You have to think, man, is this, I don't know, is this God's plan to bring back Nick Foles? Minshew just totally broke down. And and I feel like if that game had been more of a shootout and Minshew brought it home for him out in London against a tough division rival in the Texans, I feel like it'd be more of, hey, is it is it Nick Foles? As opposed to now, hey, we're going to go ahead and name him the starter today uh, on November 5th, 2019. Yeah, Chark was a bit disappointing in this one. And I think everyone expected the Jaguars to play a little bit better offensively. The Texans defense hasn't been necessarily good this season. And they went out and lost JJ Watt to a season ending injury. And then they came out and played amazing. Um, So I think London can do that to teams. London games, you have to kind of take with a grain of salt because players aren't always used to traveling over there and some weird stuff tends to happen. But DJ Chark still wide receiver eight on the season. I think Nick Foles coming back is going to be an upgrade for him. Uh, Minshew has been awesome filling in, but Nick Foles is a tenured veteran who has proven that he can get the ball to his receivers and do it well. So uh, Nick Foles, clear upgrade. DJ Chark actually caught a touchdown from him in the first half of that uh, Kansas City game in week one before Nick Foles left with an injury. So I think the connection's there. Um, I'm not panicking on DJ Chark. I think he'll be fine the rest of the season. Absolutely. What do you think about the wide receiver that there were reports that he had a great relationship with Nick Foles and there was a ton of chemistry on the field was D.D. Westbrook. He was kind of the hyped up Jaguars wide receiver before the season. What's his outlook? Yeah, D.D. has been kind of up and down and you look at his season and he really hasn't been bad. He's only caught one touchdown and that was in the first game. But since then, starting in week three, he had five catches, five catches, seven catches, three catches, six catches before going out with an injury. So having the bye week to recover from that injury, which which looks like he's going to be fine, and then having Nick Foles coming back, I think is a good bump for D.D. Westbrook. And if you're looking for a Julian Edelman light type of guy that you want to plug in at wide receiver two and hope for solid um, numbers from in a PPR format, a guy who's going to get catches, not necessarily a lot of yards, and not necessarily a ton of touchdowns, I think D.D.'s your guy. And I think he definitely sees a little bit of a bump uh, with Nick Foles coming back into the lineup. Now, what more can be said this year about Stephon Diggs other than he's really been a boom-bust player all season long? Here's his finishes uh, from, let's call it, week... I'll start from week one, actually, because I, I think this is worth the entire sample size. Five, nine, and four to start the year. That was when the Vikings were having some passing game woes and before they really started to turn around. 15.8 for Diggs in week four at Chicago. So a game that you probably didn't start him. And then seven points against the Giants, a game that you probably started him after the week that he came back and then blew up against Philly with 43.5 fantasy points in a PPR league. And then since then, he's been 21-19. And now this weekend, 2.6. What in the world do we do with Stephon Diggs? 
Yeah, I think Stefan Diggs is definitely a buy low candidate. I would be I actually have him on my fantasy team and I was disappointed with him this week, but a couple people have already stuck their fishing poles in the water and they're trying to reel them in from me and I've told them you know, I'll trade anybody on my team, but I'm not selling them low. If you're going to get Stephon Diggs, you're going to get him for the value he is. I think this was just a blip on the radar. Um, you know, It was a weird game. Thielen was out. They obviously run the ball really well, which always concerns you from a volume perspective. But Diggs is an elite route runner, and he's proven that over the past several seasons. Um, and then the last three weeks before this one, he had at least seven catches and 140 yards in each of those games. And I think that Obviously isn't what he's going to do every week, but I think there's a median there for Stephon Diggs that isn't quite the ceiling we've seen, and it's not quite the floor we've seen. And I think at some point this season, he's kind of going to settle in to that 15 to 20 point range uh, for a several week stretch and just be a really consistent option. Yeah, and he has some pretty decent matchups coming up. And and I don't mean that in terms of the pass defense. I mean, in terms of shootout potential Uh, teams that the Vikings can't just run all over. Uh, They go to Dallas this weekend. We'll talk about that game a little bit later. They play Denver at home. They go to Seattle um, and they play Detroit, the Chargers. Don't forget. Don't forget. They got a bye week in there. They do have a bye week. Don't start them in your bye week. That's a pretty tough match. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for catching that. And then uh, on week 16, they play Green Bay at home. So uh, I, I do agree that Stephon Diggs is a buy low candidate right now. Try to get him everywhere you can. I know I'm doing the same. Yeah, and one one quick thing on Diggs. I know we, we don't want to sell him, but he's got that buy in week 12. And at this point in the season, a lot of teams have already had their buys. So in your league, take if you really, really need a win and you know you're going to need a win um, coming down the stretch, take a quick peek at who you're playing in week 12. See if they've got any receivers kind of in that same tier as Stephon Diggs. And maybe do a little flip and you'll give your buy to them when you play them in week 12. So um, just a little tip and trick. Uh, don't give them away for nothing, but um, worth a look. Now let's talk about our fantasy starts of the week for week 10. What we'll do is go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, and just talk a little bit about each player, how we think their outlook is for this next week. So these players, uh, you know, there's always the kind of the low hanging fruit. Everybody knows that Lamar is going to be dominant against the Bengals. What we're looking for here are guys that are more kind of somewhere in the middle, maybe guys that you, you know, maybe be afraid of playing, maybe a guy with a tough matchup or a guy who didn't do well last week. This is us giving that sign of approval, giving you that vote of confidence that yes, you can start this guy in week 10. So with that said, Alex, who's your quarterback? My quarterback for this week is Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers plays the Oakland Raiders on Thursday night football. And Oakland is 31st this year against quarterbacks in fantasy. Uh, They just gave up a huge game to Matt Stafford, uh, 406 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Rivers is quarterback 16 this year, so he's right there on the fringe of of being a QB1. And he's one of those guys that you're going to want to play depending on matchup, and this is one of those gold matchups. So the Oakland defense, I mentioned, they're 31st against quarterbacks. They're giving up 23.9 fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. It's a short week. I expect Rivers to be dominant this week. Uh, He's got all his weapons back. He's got Eckler and Melvin Gordon coming up to full speed in the backfield. He's got Keenan Allen, who I expect to have a bounce-back game. Mike Williams is finally healthy. Hunter Henry is finally healthy. Their line is getting healthy. So I think it's a perfect opportunity to Phillip Rivers to finally have a big game. They're coming off a huge win against the Green Bay Packers. So plug them into your lineup with full confidence. Phillip Rivers at quarterback. 
And I just realized I'm playing Rivers in fantasy this week. So <laughs> that is fantastic. But yeah, Philip Rivers, do it. Yeah, that's a great pick. You know, Rivers has always been so consistent, and he always has has blow up potential. He's always that guy, right? If you don't uh, draft a quarterback in the first ten rounds, you can just sit back and wait for Rivers to fall to you, and you aren't going to be too disappointed if that's your strategy. So my quarterback pick, I'm actually going with two guys from the same game, and I think everybody knows which one this is. It's the highest over under on the week at 52 total points scored. Vegas prediction. It's Jameis Winston and Kyler Murray. So the Buccaneers play the Arizona Cardinals, and you just know this game's going to be a shootout. Two teams with gunslinger quarterbacks. Kyler has uh, his ability on the ground as well. And both teams have poor defenses, very kind of you know one-trick pony outside of a QB that can throw it, no run game. So I think this is just going to be a fun game. Just put it on, just enjoy some uh, you know low stakes gunslinging air it out type of football and for you know the air raid guys like us this is just going to be a a entertaining game if nothing else yeah way to slide air raid in there that was really (laughs) nice Uh, one thing we were talking about earlier is that the cardinals are literally basically the tampa bay buccaneers like they throw the ball ton they don't have much of a don't running game. Tight ends. Their defense is a dumpster fire. They don't throw it to tight ends. If you see OJ Howard, please tell us. We're all looking for him. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think I think this is going to be an awesome game. Hopefully, Jameis Winston will fumble a couple times, throw a couple picks, <laughs> throw a couple deep balls. Hopefully, Kyler Murray will run a little bit. It's going to be fun. Um, I think those are two great picks, and I'm really happy if I have either side of this game at quarterback. I feel like the reports of the Buccaneers GM writing a 400-page ebook on why Jameis Winston should be in the Hall of Fame actually just caused everyone commentating on the sport to totally crap on Jameis all that much more. But yeah, those those are both going to be two guys that you'll be happy starting this week. Now, in terms of the running back, got to go back to that Chargers game. I feel like this is the Chargers podcast. It's been electric, uh, and- man. It's been electric, no pun intended. It's all about the Chargers today. It really is, and I I really love their matchup against Oakland. You know, it's funny that we talked about Oakland earlier as pulling it together and being a playoff (laughs) team, yet we want to start every single player against Oakland. So I don't know how they're doing it, but it's just just funny how fantasy football and regular football um, aren't necessarily always in the same universe. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Gordon, I I think this – he had his get right game against a game they really should have lost in the Green Bay Packers, I think. And shout out to us last week for telling everyone to buy low. I hope you did. Yes, yes. Melvin Gordon would have been a great buy low. We might see a fantasy film room on him in the near future. I think Gordon, you know, you start him up. You know, the Raiders do have the 16th best uh, rushing defense. But at that same token, I think that the Chargers are turning it around it's obvious that the new OC there wants to get Gordon the ball. He had 20 touches this game and a few receptions as well. Uh, so it's obvious that Gordon's going to get some work. And then Eckler just kind of is what he is. And this kind of plays into that point of of the Raiders actually being a potential playoff contender is that I do think they're going to be able to score points against the Chargers. Yes, they have a dominant D-line, uh, but they've had some injuries uh, to their secondary, and I think Oakland's going to be able to expose that. I think this is going to be a big game for some of the other guys as well that are going to be on the field this Thursday night. Uh, but I think you can also start Eckler, especially if the game script ends up going negative against the Chargers. We've seen Eckler have 15 receptions in one game. You know, so I think he's a good guy that 
you can put into your flex or if you're really hurting for a wide receiver too. In this bi-apocalypse weekend, uh, then you can throw Eckler in there. I give my vote of confidence on him. Yeah, absolutely. And my running back is another guy who you're probably starting because you have to, kind of like you're doing with Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler. But he hasn't really given you what you want from him in the past several weeks, and that's Mark Ingram. He started the season so hot, uh, five touchdowns in the first three games, but he hasn't scored since week six. And he's put up some decent RB2 level games, but he's also given you a couple games you're just really not too happy with. So Mark Ingram and the Baltimore Ravens play the Cincinnati Bengals this week, the 0-8 Cincinnati Bengals, and they are 31st against running backs in fantasy football. That is 31.1 PPR points to the opposing team's running backs on average. So you assume Gus Edwards is going to get a few touches. Justice Hill might get a few touches. Maybe one of them even finds the end zone. But if the running backs are scoring points, you know that Mark Ingram um, is is going to have a big day. And and one thing you gotta you got to throw out there because of what we just saw last week and what we've seen this season, like, yeah, Lamar Jackson could run wild and have three touchdowns and 150 rushing yards against the Bengals. But I think that Ravens offense that's running for 200 yards per game is going to keep running for 200 yards per game against Cincinnati. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Mark Ingram run for 100 yards and a touchdown in this one. That's a fantastic start of the week. I'm plugging in Melvin Gordon into my lineup now. Or I'm sorry, Mark Ingram, I should say. (laughs) Yeah, I know you thought yours was better than mine, but hey, (laughs) you know, Ingram's good too. Well, my wide receiver pick for this week goes back to the quarterbacks. I want everybody I possibly can pick up in this game. It's Christian Kirk. Now, everyone's probably already starting uh, Larry Fitzgerald as well. Well, I don't know if I should say that, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, because I really have, I don't know. How's Fitzgerald been doing, honestly? Fitzgerald has really been disappointing over the last several weeks. And it's it's really interesting because as Kyler Murray kind of progresses into this pro quarterback, you would think that Larry Fitzgerald would have been right there along the way. But Larry Fitzgerald over the last three weeks has one catch for 12 yards, two catches for eight yards, and four catches for 38 yards. So <laughs> we, we've seen Larry kind of stand the test of time. And if there's a bounce back game for Larry, it's going to be this one we've already um, discussed a little bit with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This game's going to be a shootout. There's going to be plenty to go around for Larry, but also your start of the week, Christian Kirk, I think is due for a big game. We we, we have a lot of confidence in him coming off that injury um, and coming off of a yeah. poor performance this past week. He's going to be fine. Uh, there's going to be plenty to go around. Um, so both Kirk and even Larry Fitzgerald should should be good starts this week. Yeah, Kirk was hurt for three games, week five, week six, week seven, and then had a – Pretty measly stat line, two receptions for for eight yards against the 49ers. But, hey, that's the 49ers. Uh, Only put up 3.6 fantasy points in PPR in Week 9. So I'm giving you full confidence, though, Christian Kirk out there. He'd be a piece that I'd love to have as my wide receiver, too, or my flex this week. Uh, But, Alex, who do you have as your wide receiver start of the week? All right. Well, if you're not paying attention, you're probably going to pay attention now because this this start of the week at wide receiver – is going to get deep. And oh, before <laughs> before you cast your judgments, hear me out and let me let me kind of set the stage for this guy. Ted Ginn Jr. Wow. Is my start of the week at wide receiver. And I know what you're thinking, Ted Ginn Jr., are you kidding me? That guy is 
a drop monster. He's been around a while. He hasn't proven consistency. How can I trust this guy? I'm not saying to go out and start Ted Ginn Jr. over Christian Kirk. I'm not saying to go start Ted Ginn Jr. over a lot of people. But what I'm saying is there are a ton of buys this week. A lot of guys in the NFL are hurt. If you are in a pinch and you're looking at the waiver wire and you're looking at Jakeem Grant and Alan Hearns and saying, oh, I need the guy that's going to take Preston Williams' role in the Dolphins, like cut that crap out and go pick up Ted Ginn uh, and plug him into your lineup, in your flex, because the Saints are playing the Atlanta defense, who is 29th against wide receivers this year. So that's a great matchup, and it's at home for the Saints. And what's significant about that is that Drew Brees and Ted Ginn have always had an extremely strong connection at home. This year, Brees and Ginn have played together in one game other than at home, other than last week, which was Brees' first game back, and that was in week one. Ted Ginn in that game had seven catches for 100 yards. If you take it back for a bigger sample size into 2018, Drew Brees and Ted Ginn played three games together at home due to injuries and other things. It was week 16, Ted Ginn had five for 74 yards. Week two, he had four catches for 55 yards. And week one, he had five catches for 68 yards and a touchdown. Take it all the way back to 2017 when Ted Ginn was healthy for the whole season and Drew Brees was healthy for the whole season. In home games, Ted Ginn averaged 12.4 fantasy points a game. Wow. At home, 12.4. So when you look back over the past three seasons, I know some guys have been banged up. Ted Ginn and Drew Brees have proven that they can have big games at home. Yeah, there's been a couple two for 30s in there. But if you want a guy who's probably on your waiver wire, actually, he's certainly on your waiver wire. And you can go out and plug him in your flex and hope to get 12 points or 15 points in a boom touchdown. Go grab Ted Ginn, plug him in. I'm shooting my shot now. If Ted Ginn has a terrible game, don't at me on Twitter. (laughs) But... If he does, I'm going to be taking my victory lap. So, Ted Ginn, start of the week at receiver. Wow, I love that. I love that so much. That was a great take. Now we have to move to the sad part of our starts of the week. Give me your tight end. (laughs) (laughs) Man, it's brutal because I know we don't want to have these vanilla takes that's like, Travis Kelsey is my start of the week. But I was looking at the tight ends, and it's it's a situation where I'm either giving you someone that's a must-start every week, or I'm giving you... (laughs) <laughs> like some guy I've never heard of that plays for a, you know, it's the third tight end on the Dolphins or something like that. So it was kind of hard. And in my tight end, start of the week is Hunter Henry. And I know he's probably a guy that if you have him, you're starting him every week anyway. Um, but there, there's probably some teams out there that picked him up while he was hurt and might have him as your second tight end. And I'm just saying to start Hunter Henry with confidence. And I, I kind of want to endorse Hunter Henry a little bit and talk about the year he's having, I think this is a great opportunity to do so. Since Hunter Henry came back four games ago, he scored 30 points, 15 points, 8 points, and another 15 points. Eight targets per game. Um, This should be a high-volume game, as we've already talked about with the Chargers and the Raiders. And I think Hunter Henry has officially moved into the top five tight end conversation. I think he's right there with George Kittle, Zach Ertz, and... Maybe not to Travis Kelsey's level yet, but I think, you know, Kelsey, Ertz, Kittle, Henry, maybe Waller and Evan Ingram um, are those top six guys. So I think you roll out Hunter Henry again with confidence uh, and we continue our theme here of the Electric Chargers episode. But um, (laughs) There's a lot to like in this game. What about you, Steph? Who you got at tight end? Yeah, so my tight end guy, you know, he's probably rostered in your league. It may be worth 
going to check out. He's owned in about 60% of ESPN leagues, but, but just go take a look. And if you have him, I'm giving, you know, full vote of confidence to start him this week. It's Gerald Everett. Uh, he has, yes, a tough matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but look, the Steelers have been dominant against the run and against the pass, but where they actually have been a little susceptible is against the tight end. They're the 24th best uh, tight end defense, and you know this is another week where there's some injuries that, that play into the performance of the tight end as well. So plug Gerald in there with Brandon Cooks out. It looks like he's not going to play. Still in concussion protocol. Best of luck to you, Brandon. I hope you get back on the field soon if you're listening. Uh, but I think you can plug Gerald Everett in uh, for this game. You know He's had a couple blow-up games this week in and some some matchups that have been positive and some matchups that really haven't looked that great. He had, you know, 15 points against Tampa Bay. That that shootout against the Rams early in the year. Uh, he had 7 for 136 against Seattle in week 5. You know, so he has the ability to blow up in good matchups and I think this could be a really good matchup for him as a safety valve for golf and really uh, for golf and uh you know just as a guy who's going to be able to help them move the ball when the Steelers are shutting down everything else yeah man I think that's a great take I think uh, it's also crazy that Brandon Cooks is one of our six listeners uh, <laughs> but you know <laughs> you gotta start somewhere so yeah Brandon we hope you get better man and and kind of going off of that same point, if, if Josh Reynolds is out there in your league and you're in a pinch, you got guys on by, you got guys that are hurt, uh, Ted Ginn's not available, um, you know, Josh Reynolds is a guy who, when Cooks or Woods or any of those Rams receivers have been out in the past, he's had games where he can be serviceable. So if you're really in a pinch and you need a guy, I don't hate Josh Reynolds this week and he's kind of a, a deep league flyer that you can throw into your flex. All right, so let's move away from fantasy. Let's let's switch gears completely here and talk about not fantasy football, but reality football and this MVP race that's heating up. Just to give you guys a lay of the land here, you know, some of the, the top picks are Russell Wilson. Aaron Rodgers was the favorite last time I checked in week nine. Uh, Lamar Jackson has to be in the discussion now. And really the guy that everybody's talking about who's entered the MVP race, and that's not a quarterback, is Christian McCaffrey, and what more can you really say about him? He's been absolutely dominant. I would love to see him win MVP, and I'm I'm fully okay with quarterback not getting the MVP this year when you see how many touches Christian McCaffrey has gotten this season. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head with those front runners. Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers probably moved from the top three just outside of the top three behind Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and probably Christian McCaffrey after a poor performance last week. But we all know Aaron Rodgers, and and we know the types of things that he can do. So um, he's definitely going to continue to be on that fringe conversation moving forward. But like you said, I think Christian McCaffrey is emerging as a real contender for the MVP. And it's a award that we often see go to quarterbacks. But if you have the kind of season that Christian McCaffrey's having, I think it's worth throwing him in the discussion. And let's talk about some of the things that he's doing this year. So Christian McCaffrey is on pace for 1,760 rushing yards, 720 receiving yards for a total of 2,480 all-purpose yards, and and 26 total touchdowns which is absolutely insane, and and 84 catches through the air. So if you think back to last year and think about how dominant um, Christian McCaffrey was, he only had 
1,900 all-purpose yards last year. And he's on pace to beat that by 600, 700 yards this year and then double his total touchdowns from 13 um, to 26. He's already got 13, which ties last year uh, thus far just through eight games. Wow. So taking it to the next level, looking at former MVPs that have been at the running back position, Adrian Peterson won MVP back in 2012. He had 2,300 all-purpose yards that year. So McCaffrey's on pace to beat that by 300 yards. Um, so Or 200 yards. But when you look at what he's doing, it's just absolutely incredible. He is the absolute heartbeat of this Panthers team. He is making it easy for Kyle Allen to adjust to that offense with Cam Newton going to IR and missing a lot of the first part of the season. And, and Christian McCaffrey definitely um, deserves to be in this conversation. Yeah, and another comparison you can make looking farther back than 2012 is in 2006, we had LaDainian Tomlinson win the league MVP. Through eight games, McCaffrey has 881 rushing yards. LT had 824. Wow. In terms of receiving yards, McCaffrey had 363 and Gordon had 323. So almost identical in terms of receiving yards. McCaffrey's got about 40 more. And then McCaffrey, like you said, 13 touchdowns. LT had 14. So, you know, he's on that pace. We've seen guys who put out the kind of, of production that McCaffrey has had this year uh, win that MVP. So I love it. Uh, I think as of right now, if I wasn't a huge Lamar Jackson fan, McCaffrey would be my number one. But for me, he's my number two. Yeah, and let's go ahead and talk through some of these other, can- other candidates. So I think a lot of people have Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson as the other two guys in that top three. Um, let's hear your hear your takes on Russell Wilson before we get to our boy Lamar. What do you think about Russell Wilson and what he's doing uh, so far this year? Yeah, I think R- Russell Wilson is what we know he is, and he's just in in rare form. He hasn't really had a game that we may see from him every once in a while where he goes, you know, two hundred yards passing, not much rushing work, zero touchdowns and two picks. Like he has had those kind of stat lines, but this year we really haven't seen any of that. Um, and even a team that doesn't have a dominant defense and, and really shouldn't be winning some of the games that they are winning. I, I think the Seahawks are just absolutely lethal uh, on offense. And that's all Russell Wilson. You you watch some of these plays. Uh, when I was reviewing some of DK Metcalf's plays, it was incredible to watch when the play would break down what they'd start doing. And then, of course, you know, what more can you say about Pete Carroll? And these guys have done it before. Um, I think if Russell Wilson, you know, keeps them together, he, he's such a leader on that team. I think he's the best pure leader in the NFL, uh, at least between quarterbacks. So you kind of see him put the whole team on his back and he does so well. Everyone feeds off his energy. So, uh, you know, if Russell Wilson, they keep winning games, I could see him totally winning the MVP. Absolutely. And one thing that people said about Russell Wilson last year was he's had one of the most crazy efficient seasons of all time where he wasn't throwing the ball a ton, but he was throwing a ton of touchdowns, wasn't turning the ball over. And everyone kind of wondered if he could replicate that season this year. And this season, not only is he on pace for over a hundred more pass attempts, but his efficiency has actually been better. His completion percentage is up. His yards per attempt is up. His QBR is up. His passer rating is up. And he's got 22 touchdowns to one interception, which is absolutely insane. So he's got a 118 passer rating so far this season. And only two quarterbacks in NFL history have finished the season with a passer rating that's higher. The first is Aaron Rodgers in 2011, who had a 122.5 passer rating. 
he won MVP. The other is Peyton Manning in 2004 with a 121.1 passer rating. He won MVP. Wow. So if Russell Wilson finishes uh, on the track that he's on with the number of attempts that he's throwing, um, with the efficiency he's having, with the touchdowns he's throwing, and the way he's taking care of the ball and leading the Seahawks team, it's going to be really, really hard to jump over him in that MVP race. So I would probably call Russell Wilson the front runner right now, but not far behind him is our guy, Lamar Jackson. So let's talk about Lamar a little bit, Steph. Uh, tell me what you think about him, his recent performance specifically against the Patriots, and what you think he has to do to win the MVP. Yeah, I think the first thing he needs to do, which he's on pace to do, is break Michael Vick's rushing record for quarterback in a season. Alex, I don't have the stat in front of me. Is he almost double Vick's rushing uh, yardage? He's not quite double, but he is blowing it out of the water. So Vick, threw, or Vick ran for just over 1,000 yards. Uh, Lamar is on pace to rush for over 1,200. So when you think about beating it by a couple hundred yards is pretty significant. Gotcha. Yeah, I think he needs to maintain that at a minimum um, and just keep winning games. If Not only you know, is MVP about the stats, it's also the things that you're doing outside of just slinging the ball. We know plenty of guys that can throw the ball that aren't in the MVP race uh, year in, year out, like guys like Rodgers and Wilson. You also have to win games and be a leader for your, for your team. I think Lamar Jackson is showing that. He's playing with so much heart. You can just tell what he's on the field. This guy was born to play football and to play quarterback, which you just you love to say that out loud if you're a big fan of Lamar like we like I am and, and as you are, Alex. Um, you know, outside of that, I think they just need to keep winning games. If if they don't beat New England in week nine, I don't know if we're having this discussion. So that's kind of how on the brink he really is. It, it really took a marquee victory in prime time to kind of get him there. Uh, but I think he should definitely be in that top three to four in that MVP race right now. Yeah, we talked about it last week and we said that if the Ravens go out and beat the Patriots, that it's going to elevate him to the discussion. And I originally had thought it would elevate him to the number one spot, but Russell Wilson just put up such an incredible game that he just keeps elevating elevating that race higher than we thought it was before. So it definitely got him in the discussion. He's on pace for 3,600 yards and 24 touchdowns through the air, and he's on pace for 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns on the ground, wow. which is absolutely ridiculous. That's college-like numbers or video game-like numbers for a quarterback. And it's interesting because he's improved so much as a passer and – and that isn't where he's necessarily going to kill defenses, but he's good enough as a passer that they have to respect it. And that's what opens up the run game. You can tell that New England wasn't really crowding the box like they needed to against Lamar Jackson because they respected his passing game enough just to know that the second they crash on the run, he's going to throw it over top. So Lamar Jackson this season actually has a better QBR than Tom Brady, than Aaron Rodgers, than Carson Wentz, and then Matt Ryan, which is absolutely ludicrous and something I didn't even expect. And he has more rushing yards than Le'Veon Bell, than Todd Gurley, than Devontae Freeman. And he's leading the NFL in yards per carry. Um, Raheem Mostert is second without a lot of volume in San Francisco. And Christian McCaffrey is third. So think about how good Christian McCaffrey has been on the ground this year. Lamar is leading him by over a yard in yards per carry. Lamar is averaging 6.4 yards a carry. McCaffrey is averaging 5.3 so the stats speak for themselves, and the Ravens' win-loss record speaks for itself when discussing 
this MVP race and Lamar's chances. So looking forward to the rest of the season, I think he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. I think it's probably going to take a little bit of a falter from Russell Wilson for Lamar Jackson to really elevate um, into that number one spot. But if he keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to put him put himself in a really good position to have a chance to win MVP at the end of the year. Now, talking about Rodgers, we can't talk MVP right now without mentioning Rodgers. He's had an incredible year. We've seen what LaFleur has done bringing in a Shanahan-style offense to the Packers. But what happened to the Packers in this game? I guess this is really just the Chargers episode, even though they may move to London soon. What more can you say about the Chargers on this podcast? (laughs) They totally beat the brakes off of the Packers seemingly out of nowhere. They had Devontae Adams back on the Packers side of the ball. So I really don't know where that game came from. Maybe it was just the new OC and there wasn't a ton of film for the Green Bay Packers to really study based on the new style of offense from the new OC. They did play a little bit different. You saw Melvin Gordon get some more carries. He had two touchdowns and 20 attempts for 80 yards. I mean, they were feeding Melvin Gordon the ball, and we finally saw him have a breakout fantasy game as well. But, um, you know, with that too, it's not even like he broke off a huge run. His longest rush of the day was 16 yards. Um, Most of Melvin Gordon's was just, you know, fairly efficient, uh, had two touchdowns as well. But outside of that, you know, what happened to the Packers in this game, in your opinion? And, And also to add on to that question, should the Chargers move to London? <laughs> yeah, I think the Packers were just kind of caught off guard in this one. And I think some credit needs to be given to the Chargers as well. But everyone has a bad game every now and then. And this was just it for the Packers. And I think they'll bounce back. I think they're kind of getting used to everyone getting healthy and how that, that system's going to work together. But I, I think the Chargers played a really good game on the Packers uh, and, and just stopped everything they wanted to do. But I know we've talked a lot today about the Chargers, we've talked about London, we've talked about how weird things happen when you play in London, and this Chargers-Packers game really felt like that kind of game where it's just something that was totally unexpected went down. Um, we've even talked about Big Ben a little bit um, in the London spirit. So are the Chargers going to move to London? It, I think it's something that should be considered, and it's crazy, and I think it's definitely a long shot. But Looking at the average attendance for the Chargers in L.A., I know a lot of it's due to the stadium they're playing in, but they're averaging 25,000 fans a game this season. The second lowest attendance is the Cincinnati Bengals at 46,000 fans a game. So they're almost half of the lowest attendance in the league, which is the 0-8 Cincinnati Bengals. And when you look at these Chargers games, you hear everything in the press and in the news about they don't even feel like home games. They really don't have a home field advantage. So the Chargers have clearly become this kind of little brother in L.A. And I I think they should seriously consider the move to London. London games are averaging, not even averaging, they haven't had a game with less than 60,000 fans since the NFL started doing games in London back all the way in 2007. And there's been 28 games over there. Not one has been below 60,000 fans. People love football over there. They don't get enough of it. Every time there's a game, it seems to have a really good turnout. And I think there's a way to do it. I think they could block home and road games together to minimize some of the travel. And I think it's something that should be put on the board. Um, Is it likely? I don't think so. The Chargers actually tweeted out something today that would make it seem like there's no chance they're leaving. But I think it's an interesting conversation to have. And I think it would be really cool to see us um, and see the NFL expand over to Europe. Yeah, I feel like we're the only guys that, that love the London games. (laughs) I think so too, because we get up so early. Everyone else is sleeping. You can't talk about this weekend without 
the Hawks at Niners game. That's on Monday Night Football. The Niners are six-point favorites on the road in Seattle. This is absolutely one where we're going to see what the 49ers have. We mentioned it on the last podcast. We've talked about Russell Wilson, his effectiveness leading this team, some of the other weapons, Metcalf stepping up. I think this is one where you see really what the 49ers have on offense. I know Seattle's defense, or I'm sorry, I know Seattle's offense will be able to move the ball. The question is, can the Buccaneers keep up? Yeah, 49ers keep up. Buccaneers, I know we've talked about them a lot, but... <laughs> Uh, you know Oops. the bucket, and and for the record, the Buccaneers did keep up last week. So you'd expect the 49ers to be able to keep up, bringing in Emmanuel Sanders, you know Tevin Coleman back from from injury, and this is a team that that should be able to move the ball in Seattle as well. And the 49ers kind of had a scare last week in Arizona. I think that the Cardinals kind of hit them in the mouth a little bit, and they were able to pull out that game, but. It kind of proved to me that the 49ers are vulnerable, and I expect this to be a higher-scoring game. The over/under is 46, um, but but I really think that the 49ers are going to come out and play really well. They have a three-headed rushing attack that's been awesome in that Kyle Shanahan offense. Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, and and Matt Breida have been absolutely incredible. Um, they actually two of those four guys are in the top. Or excuse me, two of those guys are in the top four in the NFL in yards per carry uh, in Raheem Mostert and Matt Breida. So the running game's awesome. The passing game has been elevated with Emmanuel Sanders and Jimmy Garoppolo stepping his game up. Obviously, we know what Russell Wilson can do. The 49ers have, have showed that you can run the ball on them as Kenyon Drake came in and showed us last week. So I expect this to be a really back-and-forth game. It's on Monday night. It's going to be a rowdy crowd out in San Francisco. Josh Gordon should be active. I think there's a lot of really cool stuff to look for in this game, and I'm looking forward to it. Love it. Wow, you just got me hyped up right there. I'm about to run through a brick wall right now, Alex. <laughs> well, look. Out- Man, maybe I should do some <laughs> promos for these guys. Well, outside of that game, let's talk about some other ones that we're looking forward to. For me, I, I seem like I'm such a huge Packers fan on this podcast. I guess I kind of am deep, deep down somewhere. Panthers go to Green Bay. Green Bay are five-point favorites. Uh, I believe, wait, let me check that. Yeah, the Panthers go to Green Bay, and Green Bay are five-point favorites at home. It's a 47.5-point over-under. I may actually end up taking the under on this game. I think it could be more of a defensive-style game. Uh, But nonetheless, you know, two teams, I'm looking forward to to really seeing them go at it and bring their all. Unfortunate, you know, Cam to IR, but at least for Kyle Allen, it's now he has the confidence that he is the guy in Carolina. Yeah, I think that's a great one to look out for. I think the Packers bounce back at home. After a really disappointing game last week, uh, Devontae Adams got some game action in last week. Obviously, wasn't super effective, but I think he starts to get back in the groove of game shape this week. And I, I have the Packers winning this game. Uh, I think they cover the five-point spread. I think that Kyle Allen, the, the Panthers actually just signed Dante Moncrief, so you can expect some drops in this game <laughs> for the Panthers. Um, and, and I, yeah, I just think the Packers will be too much. I think McCaffrey will still play well. Uh, I think the Panthers just can't get enough going on offense um, without Cam Newton. The Packers have an elite pass defense. So look for McCaffrey to run the ball a lot, but uh, I think it's going to come down to Kyle Allen, and I just don't think he's going to be able to get it done in Green Bay. Yeah, and it's – I don't want to be overreactionary to the the Packers kind of breaking down in Week 9. They're still 7-2, and 
Um, Panthers are five and three. So definitely I, I have Packers as the pick this game, um, but I think this is going to be one that's going to be a gritty kind of like the uh, Steelers and Colts game was this last week. What's one of the games that you have circled this weekend? I've got the Vikings at the Cowboys circled. I think that these are two teams who are above average, but they're kind of on the outside looking in from a Super Bowl contender perspective. I think everyone respects the Vikings. I think everyone respects the Cowboys and know that there's no uh, easy win against these two teams. But when people talk about Super Bowl contenders, they talk about the Patriots. They talk about the Saints. They talk about the Packers, even the Rams to an extent. So I think the Vikings and Cowboys are kind of fringe teams that want to say, hey, we're in this too. And the Vikings are coming off a disappointing loss against Kansas City, a game they really should have won. And the Cowboys are coming off an absolute stomping of the Giants on Monday Night Football. So being in Dallas, uh, the Dallas Cowboys are three-point favorites. I think the Vikings come in and beat them. I'm not sold on the Cowboys yet. I think there's some inconsistency uh, still with Dak Prescott. I think the Vikings are going to be able to get back um, get it back together on the ground. I think Stephon Diggs will bounce back. I know Adam Thielen is questionable and maybe even doubtful for this game, so that could definitely play an impact here. Um, but but yeah, I just think the Vikings are going to have a fire lit inside them after, after the way they were kind of stuffed on the ground last week, and I think they come into Dallas and steal a win. Yeah, and by extension, the Cowboys, who lost to the Jets, and the Jets, who lost to the Dolphins, that Cowboys have lost to the Dolphins this year. So they're the worst team in the NFL. So they're the worst team in the NFL. <laughs> and they're the only worst team in the NFL because the Jets have only won, a game, won one game and the Dolphins have only won one game. So go figure. Yeah, and, and both of these are three lost teams. Like you said, they're definitely going to be you know fighting for wild card spots, if not winning their division uh, for both of these teams. So I, I think it is high stakes. Um, I think the narrative does change a little bit. Uh, if the Vikings end up at a seven and three record, um, they'll, they're kind of a lock for that wild card in the NFC. Um, and I'm with you hundred percent. I think the Vikings do come in and steal this one. I know Cowboys at home, Sunday night football, there's, you know, a heavy bias towards the Cowboys. I feel like in a lot of these type of games, um, but I'm taking the Vikings in this one. I think it's gonna be a really fun one to watch on Sunday night. I think so too. And, and one last little note I want to add on the Cowboys I think they really need this game. I don't think they're going to win it. I think they need it, though. They're home against the Vikings this week. They're at Detroit next week, and Detroit's been really solid. Uh, It's never easy to play a road game. So they're at the Lions. Then they're at New England. They're home against Buffalo. They're at Chicago, home against the Rams, at Philadelphia. So you look at their next one, two, three, six, seven games, and there's really nothing guaranteed about it. So... They, they need this one against the Vikings to kind of get up on the right foot because the second they start um, playing from behind in the win-loss column, they're going to really struggle, especially with the Eagles in that division. So I think the Cowboys need this one. Uh, I, I just don't know if they can go out and get it. It's going to be good, though. Well, Alex, that wraps up the games we're looking forward to in Week 10 and also wraps up Episode 2 of the Air Raid Sports Podcast. Alex, anything before we go that you want to add on here? Yeah, I want to destroy Mitch Trubisky some more. So this week, he <laughs> pl- this week he played against the Eagles' pass defense, which has been absolutely atrocious this season, worst in the NFL. And Mitch Trubisky, in a great matchup, went 10 for 21 for 125 yards and zero touchdowns. That is a 66.6 passer rating. And I think 
66.6 is telling the Bears, like, hey, this is bad. Get rid of this guy. Get him out of here. Um, move on. So one last little addition to my rant that I forgot to mention earlier is that Mitch Trubisky is not a good NFL quarterback. And that is all I have for today. It's been awesome uh, to be on the pod again. Episode two, we've made it over the hump. So thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone for following on social media. Um, feel free to reach out, send us your questions, your start-sit decisions, your trade questions. Uh, we'll be happy to hop on and answer for you on any of our platforms. And that's it, guys. We'll see you next time. Peace.